Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, this week we're featuring a panel conversation I moderated with four CMOs at the Advertising Council's This Way Up Creative Festival a few weeks back. The theme was, do ex-agency CMOs do it differently compared to what we could call career marketers? Those who have never worked inside agencies of any creed, media, creative design, customer experience, you name it. There is an ongoing migration and a lot of interest right now from agency people to go client-side, as they like to say. Partly, it's because agency life can be intense, demanding, hectic, and perpetually flirting with burnout. The four CMOs in this conversation have all had agency-side experience. Tourism Australia CMO, Susan Coggle, Kia's General Manager Marketing, Dean Norbiato, Nestle's Marketing and Communications Director, Annalise Douglas, and CMC Markets Marketing Lead for APAC in Canada, Liam Lonelack, who's just been appointed on assignment. The conversation tackles some of the core challenges, and these CMOs are frank and forthright on how life servicing brands inside agencies has shaped their role as marketers today. Some of it great, some of it required a broadening of their worldview around what marketing is and does, versus a sometimes narrow mandate that agencies often operate under. But all of them nod to the upside their agency tenures have given them. So keep listening, you'll enjoy this one. So um, Annalise, as a consumer or as a customer, not a marketer, do you actually love any brands? Absolutely. Um, I love the latest drop from Zimmerman. So I'm <laughs> Zimmerman ladies. I would all say that most of them would love Zimmerman. Okay. That's, and that's any more? Do you know what that is? Yeah. It's a fashion brand. Isn't <laughs> yeah. It? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Look, uh, it's interesting you asked this question because I was thinking about love, the concept of love in relation to brands. Um, there is a brand that I wouldn't have identified that I loved, but I actually unfortunately consume it probably every day, every second day, which is a Coke Zero. Because I try and eat healthy, but I have that thing where I just need to have something. And I do it every day and I think, do I love that brand? Or it's a habit. Or is it that I'm just habitual about it? I don't know, but it is a big part of my routine. Can, can I jump in on that one? Because interestingly, this, this was one question that we actually did get from Paul earlier on. And on my list is actually Diet Coke, which is probably a comment on my age. But nonetheless, I just think Diet Coke has so much more of a storied history. And, you know, mm. that for me, it's a taste really? thing, but whatever. It's, you know, taste tests are, are neither here nor there. But the Diet Coke, and I guess, I, I, look, I can't separate the consumer and the marketer in me, I guess, annoyingly to all my friends and family. But yeah, just for me, the Diet Coke experience, the, the look of the can, the advertising over the years has meant so much more. But I just have never gotten the same story or, or engagement around Coke Zero. Zero. Well, Coke Bill, no sugar, Bill Clinton's got Diet Coke form too, doesn't he? And when he was, when he was being um, asked by Bill Clinton... He used, he used the um, Diet Coke on the side of his yeah, table true. when it's he was true. being interviewed by the grand jury that yeah, a Spartan might make you kind of a bit forgetful. So he used, he's always covered something there. Anyway, that's, uh, okay, that's okay. probably not what you're thinking. <laughs> no, it's not what I'm thinking. And the truth is I've had to stop myself from drinking it because it's not the best thing in the world for you, you but must, I bloody love it. <laughs> must have drunk that on the Lolita Express, I imagine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Dean. Cliche one, Patagonia. Patagonia. Yeah. The reason I love the brand, I'm big into outdoors, and they will literally, if you take their clothes or any clothes, mm. which is outrageous, 
in, they will just fix it fix for it. you and give it back. They've got sewing machines in the store. They, have, they literally have sewing machines yeah. in there. Yeah. And I've irrationally been caught up with that and I will go in there routinely. So you don't, you don't sew? Hmm? You don't sew? Clearly, clearly not. No. Well, no, no. But it's no. A great, I agree. I agree. It's, I'm, I'm for that reason. And I've got a couple of boys that are crazy surfers that are always ripping their wetsuits and you, in you go with it. It's, it's, it's great. phenomenal service yeah. at, at Hook. So I've, I've developed a, an irrational love for that brand. And is that is it an exclusive or is there a few others in, that, in, the, in the repertoire? Yes, there's another one, Yeti, which they oh, make the over-engineered... No, not oh, sorry. Bike. They do make mountain bikes. The over-engineered cupware, which is for outdoor use, that you were paying an exorbitant amount, like $60 for a, for a cup, but I'd gladly go in. I've got like four of them. Why, Paul? Why? <laughs> I'm, I'm here to ask the questions, not, not, not answer, yeah. sorry. So Liam, what's your, um, do, you have, do you love any brands? Um, I probably don't. Um, I think that love is a bit of an overclaim. I am English, so emotionally deficient. So there's, <laughs> uh, there's that to, to, to manage as well. I think, and the reason I say no is I used to love, like, I used to like Qantas as a brand, like it has a lot of affinity for me. But then when they became crap recently, I was like, oh God. Pontus. So, like, if I did love brands, it's a very thin veil. So that's why I'm sceptical. It's interesting you bring Qantas up, Susan, because, like, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, Qantas is on the nose. What do you say about yeah, that? I tourism? get that. I get that. But can I just say also, are we forgetting, look, maybe I'm an apologist for my category, but are we forgetting <laughs> what's going on in the world out there? You know, I think we're holding Qantas to a standard that a lot of brands are really struggling with. And I get it's your travel and I get it's getting home or your holiday or whatever. And, you know, losing bags for weeks on end is not acceptable. But by the way, it's not just Qantas. This is airlines around the world trying to deal with it. Um, I just think we all need to dig deep and continue to love our national carrier. Oh, I do. And I, st I still fly with them because they've, they've got me on they've got me they've got points, points for life. Yeah. So I feel like I'm over a barrel. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I think as a concept, as a consumer, yeah. I think it is, for me, it's a bit of an overclaim. I, I like yeah. the utility that brands deliver me and I'm very grateful for that. I don't love them. Mm. Right. So I, I would say that I really like, for instance, um, yeah. maybe not love because I, I'm not English, but I struggle with the emotional deficiency of love. Um, There's no brand you we'll love? We'll have the chat separately. Yeah, yeah it's a right. deep chat. Mm. No brand you love? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't say no. I, I think, you know, Patagonia is an interesting one because yeah. of exactly that, that functional yeah. stuff and they just go beyond. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't say, I don't know if I love them. So anyway, it's not about me. So let's get away from me. There's another question here um, before we get into the meaty, um, which is as a customer and as a consumer, do you do loyalty programs? And we'll start from the other end. Um, Liam, loyalty. I just talked about, yes, so yeah. Qantas is probably the only one. Yeah. Right. Um, but with my marketing hat on and knowing how it works, um, I also admire what they've done with Qantas Frequent Flyer and what it does for their business. So yeah, Qantas is the only one. And yeah, that's personally you use, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're on it. Susan? Absolutely not. I 100% decline all of them because I don't want to have one more thing to track and wonder if I'm getting most value out of, except Qantas. Qantas. And if I can't fly a Qantas-related airline, yeah, I do make sure I get, tuck my points away and other things because I want them, but Qantas is the only one that I'm that I, I pay attention to, but otherwise people try and get me on cards and stuff and I'm like, oh, I just don't need the stress of one more thing to follow. Yep, um, it, it, and that's quite regular with marketers I talk to, by the way, and, um, and one of them was last week talking about exactly that, don't want to be tracked and being, you know, <laughs> followed through the uh, World Wide Web and being uh, traded yeah. and programmatic. And I just, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm, and I'm just not convinced that every program you kind of get the value out of and then you got to step back and kind of go, am I getting the value out of this? Don't have time. Dane? Yeah, I, I, I recently got the stink eye at a cafe for turning down a loyalty card. You, you, fifth coffee free. There's in the punch card. Well, I said, I, I, I don't carry a wallet anymore. I've got mm. nowhere to keep the mm. card. If yeah. you improve the user experience, put on an app, I'll gladly tap. Yeah. 
That's yeah, fair. Maybe, agree, maybe. I think it's very fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we need. I might cups. be more inclined if more did that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. They were so that. So analog the agency folk here. <laughs> there's a there's a design experience there somewhere. Um, the so you don't you didn't do a punch card, but did you do anything else? Uh, yes. Uh, so I'm a Nike loyalty program. Every however often I get fifty dollars off, and I gladly gallivant in there and spend two hundred bucks. Um, so <laughs> I guess it works. Annalise. Uh, generally, no, and it is because I don't find the value exchange worth what I know that, that brands can do with your data. Right. So, um, generally, the answer is no. I will, however, caveat that Qantas is my only one that I, <laughs> yeah. I do because that you, the value exchange and what you get from that is so much more. Um, I think that a lot of brands uh, get the value exchange wrong. Um, I think that also you have to question the quality of some of that um, data that you get from consumers, because you do get a lot of promo hunters. Yeah, right. Um, so I do think that, mm. I, I guess knowing what we know, you're going to have a degree yeah. of cynicism from, from marketers and from agency people around. Um, yeah, but, but we're all doing it. We're all, we've all got one, other than probably, you've got one, haven't you? Nestle got one? Um, particular brands do, but yeah. there, it is a, it's a constant discussion around that value exchange. Yeah. What are we giving consumers that are worth, it is worthwhile for them to give us? Because it's quite a privilege, mm. actually, having that data on people. Right. Uh, and you've got to think of it that way. And maybe it's because I'm very passionate about data privacy, but you, you have to treat it with an ordinate amount of respect. Mm. Mm. So. Not surprising, really, um, from based on sort of the conversations I've had historically. So let's get into... The uh, question du jour, which is, um, do former agency marketing bosses uh, do it differently? And I'm, I'll just, I'm going to go right in the middle, Dean. Um, you, you, you know, all of these CMOs, by the way, have had, have been in agency. So I did try to get non-agency. Had um, one particularly passionate um, CMO, absolutely up for it, but got called by by Global into something and couldn't do it. So we all have, um, in one shape or another, two actually with media agency experience and two with creative agency. Um, Liam, you were a UM before coming out from the UK, I think, and you were a law firm before that. Susan, you were a chiat day in LA working on Apple. In fact, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, that you might have even been the mule for chiat day to take, <laughs> take work to Steve Jobs on Apple. I was, I was. As a junior burger, I had a really amazing, uh, like, my first or second week getting called up to bring work to... Uh, Steve Jobs on the beach in Hawaii, right? Uh, right? And wow. here, I am, here I am, by the way, he's like on the cover of Time magazine. So this was, again, to totally so date cool. me, 1997, which I appreciate is probably before some of the people in this room were born, but anyway. Uh, you know, and Steve had gone back to Apple from Next, uh, and he'd been on the cover of Time and Newsweek and all this stuff, and here I'm going, oh my God, I'm going to bring him work, you know? But I thought I was, I also, by the way, knew all the stories about him and his temper and throwing smoothies at people's heads in meetings and stuff like that, and I was just... You know, and you were unscathed, though. You came out. Of I, I was unscathed. That's right. I got to uh, his resort, and I thought I was just going to drop it off at reception, and be like, "It's for Steve Jobs," and then run off. And he came around the corner. He's like, "Susan, come on, let's go look at the work." And the, you know, cut to us sitting on the beach, going through the creative and asking my opinion on it. And here I am, this little twenty, early twenty-something junior burger, going, "Well, well, Steve Jobs." You know, great bragging rights. That's a great story. It's a great story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I might ask Dean the question again: uh, Do ex-agency marketers do it differently? And Shoot away, don't Yeah, good. First up, straight. Thank you, Paul. Um, uh, my first, I guess, answer on that is a, a good marketer is a good marketer is a good marketer. And I don't think there's an absolute rule to say that you have to spend time here or here. And I've seen that through my time, that a good marketer is just a good marketer. However... I was going to say, is there a but here? However, <laughs> if I was to get off the fence, I would say that 
a better agency person and a better marketer on client side is better if they've experienced the other arena, in my opinion. And I think you get an ability and an understanding of where they're coming from in a lot of scenarios that you may otherwise have your own personal bias about your position and not actually see what they're saying in a situation. So I think that some of the best agency people, the majority of the best agency people have had brand experience, and I truly believe that, and vice versa in terms of the perspective that you can take on situations to ultimately get to this, the single position that you mutually want to benefit from, as opposed to it just being one side of the agency versus brand. I think if you can foster that environment that both parties are going for a shared goal, that's where you get the best outcome. So you were an agency, I think it was... Um... I was brand, agency, and then brand. Right, and so your experience in agency when you went back to brand, what did you take with you and what did you do differently? How did you interact with your agencies? Yeah. What, what happened? So my, my, my biggest thing that I found, I was getting stale, and I'll say this quite openly, I was getting stale in my first brand role. And I had an opportunity to take a lesser role at an agency or step up and go to a bigger role within my brand. And I made the hard decision, it wasn't very financially viable, all, there's out, all the guys out there in Adland know how much you get paid in Adland, but I took that decision because I wanted to test myself and build a skill set and a robust background that when I then went back to brand, I knew I could do it better. And it was four years, time under tension, where I learned so much and the ability and the experience in agency land, I just don't think it gets, uh, that skill set, that breadth of skill set gets afforded enough um, into brand land in terms of how it can translate. So I was able to, when I first started, there was a certain level of, we've always done it this way, mm. packed into how we work with agencies. And they couldn't see the forest from the trees to call out uh, dirty words like commission and have those tough conversations to understand how the money flow operates through businesses. Something as, as simple and as rational and mechanical almost as that was just not looked at because there was no one who could see how money could potentially be funneled into different areas. Even into a pitch environment, one thing that I used to absolutely hate was when you would roll out the glamours at the front who would be the geniuses who would present something and everyone would get caught up at Brandland and they would get parked and go over to win another client. And then the people who actually did the work were like interns who would come in and the work would fail and it wouldn't work. So ensuring that in every pitch, the people who are doing the work are also in the pitch, setting expectations and understanding the inner workings of an agency and taking that to a, a brand lens when you deal back with an agency, tough conversations, but then you get to an elevated position and ultimately the work is better. Good, Susan, um, no, good, good points and we'll come back to some of them. Susan, your take? Yeah, I guess I would say um, when I was uh, starting my career in creative agencies um, and I used to see all the sort of training and development opportunities from my on client side, I always thought that was absolutely amazing and I wish that we were a little more structured like that agency side. I think agencies have gotten better nowadays, but sort of when I was starting, it was a lot more sort of just learning on the fly and learning in, in your job. So I was always a little jealous of that, I think, coming up. But now that I've made the switch, uh, and, I, and I too made a deliberate choice to go from agency to client side, and I actually took a step back from a, a, um, like a group business director role to a senior marketing manager role, because it was the only way at that time to, to get the, uh, make the transition into brand side. Once I made the transition over and started moving up, I really started valuing everything that we see in young agency people, which is the, uh, a sense of dynamism, a sense of entrepreneurial 
capitalism, an entrepreneurial spirit, problem solvers, creative thinking, hard workers that sometimes you don't get if you come up through a more um, you know, traditional sort of client environment that, you know, a little more institutionalized, I guess. You know, I think agency people are incredibly smart and I love to stack my team with them whenever, mm -hmm. wherever and whenever I can. Great. I've got one in the audience here that is one of the best deals I ever had from agency. So you have a preference to hire uh, ex-agency people in your teams? Uh, if I can, I probably, if I had a bias, I mean, I can't say that that, that is what I put into the brief when we recruit, but if you're gonna ask my personal bias, I probably weight them a little higher. Right, Dean, you're nodding, you're the same? Yep, agree. Right, um, I'll get back to why, um, Liam, um, so I think I'll use a different category example. So before I even got into marketing, I was going to be a lawyer um, and got out of that, which was a good thing. That's a separate story. Um, but what I think is interesting about this conversation is taking the example of the law. If you're a lawyer, you go and train in private practice, in agency mm. first, to learn your craft. And when you move in-house as counsel, there is very little debate or even question about that. And people chop and change their whole careers and no one bats an eyelid. Mm. And so I think what we can learn from that as a cost category learning to our relatively young profession, we've only been around 110 years, we're looking great for like 110, but we've got a lot of, of growth to go. And that growth and maturity, I think, is having a proper professional path to be a, a senior client or a senior agency person. Because at the end of the day, we are all marketeers. We just are looking at it from a very different specialism and part of the pie. Mm. Again, using that legal example, you have specialisms in M&A and in other areas. Mm. But wouldn't it be lovely if, and that what if, if we can have a professional path where you did your time in a creative agency, you did your time in a media agency, mm. you did your self-client side, and then there was a level of professional accreditation, so you were a certified marketeer. That would help elevate the work, mm. it would stop the short-termism in our industry, mm. Mm. Um, and it would, it would elevate the thinking. And I think, Susan, to your point, really interesting how you said you've got a preference for agency. Mm. Before getting this role at CMC, I was chatting to a lot of recruiters. Pretty much everyone, everyone I spoke to was like, oh, do you really want to stay, do you really want to stay, stay, stay client side? Are you really an agency person? Oh, okay. and, the, and, and one recruiter actually said to me, I never get a brief saying I want an ex-agency person. Isn't that funny? And, 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 and yeah. it's so limiting. So I think you're refreshing, yeah. but I think you're also the exception. Well, I, look, it's probably, again, just that question of does it... Charming down the end of the floor there. Well done, Liam. Oh, thanks, I've got to step up, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? I mean, just as we both said, I mean, yeah. moving to make the move from client to brand, maybe yours was the opposite way, I can't remember, but for me to go client side, I spoke to recruiters, I spoke to friends in market, they were all like, oh, I'm not sure we want an agency person. And look, I guess in retrospect, I, I, in one hand I can understand it because in marketing, what we look at is so much broader than just advertising and media. Um, the breadth of what I look at is, yeah, it, the, the, the aperture, I guess, of my job is so much larger than it was when I was agency side, and even if I was quite senior agency side. Mm. That said, everything I learned, everything I, I uh, brought to moving client side, um, I still think that's still far, far outweighs. Um, but I had, to, I had to take a step back as opposed to them going, right on, you're at this level or we can move you up. I'll I, I tell you what, what though. Um, agency people are, have a level of resilience mm. which is so valuable. Mm. Like, and the speed at which agency people move. Like, I love my time in agency and it gave me so many of my skills. I've got to hold myself back sometimes <laughs> at client side because I'm like, that's the problem. Why are we still talking about it? Let's attack the problem. But you just have to be a bit more considered. So that, yeah. that's a tension. I yeah, think you touched sure. on that a little bit too. Yeah. Interesting. Annalise, your take on, um, and you're, you're uh, again, media agency way back. Way back. So a long time. 42 decades ago, but yep. it was still a very, you know, you were in media, Media Palace, Campaign Palace's media shop, for instance. So you're attached to a creative 
you know, Very powerhouse at one stage? Yes, yeah. Look, I mean, from my perspective, marketing plays a different role in different organisations. So um, if you're thinking of, you know, client side, you need to think about what your skills are and understand what the role of marketing is within different organisations. So some of it, to that point, is, you know, that, that, that upper funnel kind of piece. Mm. And some of it is acquisition and retention of customers. Some of it is, you know, um, all different elements of the six Ps. So, you know, we've got marketers from an SI point of view that spend, you know, a good amount of their time on pack and pack marketing, as well as looking at price. Uh, and then they're also looking at promos. So it really does depend on what type of business I think um, it is and what the role of marketing is within that business. You, you know, you, you can have product marketers, uh, you can have people that are focused on the innovation funnel um, from a marketing perspective. So marketing is so broad. Mm. Uh, and, I, and therefore, I don't think that it's a black or white yes or no answer to this question. Um, I really do think if you really deeply understand what your career journey is, where your skills are, then think about where you would then go from a client side and where you can add that value. So how's your agency experience, albeit you know, a century ago, how has that, um, that helped you in what you do now? Because you're running I think he makes me market. feel good, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I've done many panels. <laughs> yes, I didn't mean it, actually. <laughs> uh, um, sorry, ask the how, how has your agency experience, um, what has it brought to your marketing, um, you know, remit now in terms of how you operate? Look, I think the, the wonderful thing, to me, the wonderful thing that you learn at an agency is um, bravery. Um, the bravery and the curiosity. And I think that that is what agency people absolutely bring to the fore because they, are, they aren't as much in the machine. And so they, they are very brave and that's why you need agencies um, to think outside of your category norms and to, to you know, come up with ideas that are going to absolutely laser focus and attract that, that consumer. Sure. So I think for me, it's curiosity and bravery, kind of the characteristics. And I do actually agree with you, speed. Um, speed is one of those really interesting things, yeah. Dean, um, why are you hiring, why do you have a preference for hiring agency people on your marketing team at CARE? Uh, emotional intelligence as well. I think the stress mm. that you get put under within an agency environment, having experienced it myself, and undergone an emotional intelligence course during that time as well. Did you pass? Um, <laughs> Shouldn't have to pass emotional. Oh, don't you have to take that off? <laughs> no, it was it was exceptionally it was exceptionally, very British over here. Sorry, exceptionally confronting. You have to stand stare into a random's eyes for four minutes. Have you done that, Paul? No, that's oh. yeah, that's tough stuff. Um, I digress. Uh, yes, I'm interested though. <laughs> the um, yeah, so that that ability to adapt to a situation and the creativity that we've discussed at length here, mm. um, I think that gets tested in an agency more so necessarily than brand, where it can be a little bit more on the rails, process driven. Yeah. Whereas so it does get to the question though, and, and um, we will get to the creative conversation. I know I've got eight minutes left. Is that right? Um, I've got a little number here. So we will throw to the floor soon. Um, put your hands up if you've got some questions. But it does go to, to the point though, is this why we are seeing so many agency people wanting to go on client side because agency is brutal. It's, mm. it's, it's hard, fast, harder and harder. You hear the burnout. Yep. And so is, there a, is it part of the escape hatch to go a life, some sanity and the pressure that the, the agency people get put under? Is that part of it? Um, I mean, I can't comment for everyone. Uh, however, my experience at agency, whilst it was hectic, it's nowhere near any more hectic than working on brand side. Right. I think it's just the perspective. 
and the, and, and the outlook and perspective that you take on a situation. Susan, your, your take? I mean, the, 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 the reason why, because we are seeing a lot of agency people, you know, looking at that transition. Yeah. I think there's a misconception that life is easier on brand side than it is on client side, um, or sorry, on agency side. Um, I don't know, maybe that's a function of me as well, though, that I, I kind of throw myself into it and I'm passionate about it and I'm in a category now that is just, you know, needs so much help. Um, and I've got a team of really passionate type A hard workers who are also throwing themselves at it. Um, I think my team and my broader organization work as hard, but they do work differently. Right. Well, certainly um, through COVID, your team would have been, you know, yeah. insane. I wouldn't like your yeah. big, and, you know, that would have yeah. been hectic. Um, Liam, you're fresh, not too far out of like a year ago, maybe? Still, or? still got my L plates on. Yeah. L plates on, yeah. <laughs> but so, you know, the, the transition, and you, you wrote a piece for MI3, which, which is telling really, because it's probably one of our, it was on your transition out of agency to, to yeah. client side. Um, that's when you went to My Muscle and Chef, and because it's not My Muscle because I don't have any, but I just wanted to be very clear on that. <laughs> the, the point there was that it was probably, it's probably our, one of our top most popular stories for the, for, for the year was, you know, it was essentially how to transition. So sure. is it harder on agency to client what you've seen yeah. so far? So I think first thing I'd say is I was uh, very grateful for the opportunity to write the piece, Paul, so thank you. Um, yeah, uh, prestigious and, publication. And, uh, <laughs> um, uh, and secondly, I think it, it was really curious to me how so many people found my little story interesting um, because to my point earlier it would be lovely if we didn't have that conjecture and debate we're all marketeers and we should be able to move between the, mm. the disciplines but that, that's an aside point I think for me there's two things moving client side I suppose at the start, to Susan's point, I believed it was maybe easier it's not and you don't have more control if anything you have less control and, and I really mean that and the second thing which Getting up the food chain, there's more up the food chain or across? Uh, well, there, there's more accountability and there's actually less control, especially if you go to senior client side. Because to my second point, I sell every single day client side. <laughs> in, a, in agency, you sell one way. You're selling the idea to the client, which is really important. But in Susan's role and Dee's role and Annalise's role, I, I, with that, I mean, I've just met the, these lovely people um, today. but. We sell every single day. I'm selling to the CFO. I'm selling to the CEO. In my role, I've got a regional role in the global business. I'm selling to my global CMO. And so it doesn't get easier. And it's still about the stakeholder management. And that's the thing that I actually learn. And, yeah. and from that, then if you're going to move, when you're an agency, you are incentivized on output, really good output. And you want to do good work. In client side, simple work. Simple work, which you can easily sell and communicate to stakeholders. They're very different things. Mm. And I think my observation is so much of the frustrations that agencies had with clients is because they didn't understand that good, great output isn't the stuff that gets necessarily bought. It's the simple work that goes around and travels around the client organization really effectively and easily because it's about the narrative internally you create. And the more senior you are as a client, the more your value is to manage and align your internal stakeholders, which is a mammoth effort, which I'm yeah. sure you can all... Uh, the, ter the term internal PR gets used a lot more in brand side, I've found, in terms of mm. managing your perception within the business to right. things reporting up. Is that the same in agency land? Profile. Profile. There is still the same. I think yeah. the, the difference I found was actually far more responsibility around the P&L mm. and being able to speak the language of business, I think is um, 
Yeah. The, the, the difference that I found uh, in moving and because there's, there's, there's well, far Well, not all marketers are doing that either. They need to, but not all marketers are doing that. It's, mm. uh, you know, we still talk sometimes brand language. Yeah, and, and, and I guess that's because I have been largely in FMCG. That's, that is yeah, what right. you do yeah. in FMCG. You are far closer to mm. the P&L. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah. that to me is a fundamental difference. Mm. That's good. Um, I want to go to creative because um, um, I see this clock ticking. Um, and I want to start with Dean again. because right. Dean, start with, we're going to talk about creativity and creative and what it means for the panel. Mm -hmm. um, but start, Dean, with your scenario when you went to, when you got to Kia, mm -hmm. you, you wanted to bust up, the cre creative for you was busting up the way it would all have been done in auto, in, in auto advertising. You talked about that, you know, the way things have been done. Yeah, the, the, I guess looking at the um, auto landscape, it is um, fairly incestuous, for lack of a better term, in terms of marketers swapping in between. So I was there with zero auto experience and everyone I was talking to was wearing their 16 years, 24 years, 10 years as a badge and I had zero and I was leading a marketing department. But I have a very, very good boss who by proxy was running a marketing department for a certain period of time. So to come in and he just said, look out for opportunities where we can grow. We, he, he knew that the position wanted to be youthful and younger with this brand. And he, he just basically gave me the reins and said, look at the opportunities to do stuff different and cut through, which is all fine, but we needed to create the creative guardrails to be doing it in the right direction so we can build up that distinction for our brand and actually stand out for the right reasons. Because there's an absolute thousand pound gorilla in the auto category in Australia that if by default you're not distinct enough, they then get all of it the starts benefit. with T, that's what you mean? I'm not gonna say, but right. and then they get the benefit. So the unless benefit. you're gonna be distinct in what you're doing each and every time across every touch point, the consumer isn't smart enough and has the availability to then know that it's that ad. And the research that I did as soon as I started was you could take a badge off one car ad and chuck another one on. The consumer wouldn't know the difference. Right. That, they're not as really? intimate to they're, it. They're really? Absolutely. Oh, right, okay. Absolutely. Especially when you look at the, the, the level of attention afforded to a 30-second TV spot versus other channels. You need to be super nuanced across each channel. Yet when I walked in, it was so formulaic. No, no, this is how we launch a car. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. You drive along the road, yeah, 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 either yeah. next to the ocean oh, or... Wait, wait, what, what? Yeah. And there's a gag at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah the, the kid farts, it's great. So using that as an opportunity to almost jack the category to stand out for something, to stand out for something different. And we feel with our agency that we've got, we've got quite a unique position that we're looking to own and orientate all of our comms around. Um, so, so what you didn't do was a, was a car ad on a road and a scenic thing? And look, it's, it's so hard not to do a car ad with a car. It is so hard, mm. let me tell you. So it's not an easy challenge to our agency and we've set the bar exceptionally high for them. But unless we set it there, we're gonna be, uh, you know, investing our media dollars for others. Um, quickly, so you did just an example of getting out of that sort of the, the, the box on that, mm -hmm. your tennis yes. execution. Yeah, so in terms of talking about creativity, it's not just for a 30 second spot that lives on the news analyze the whole way that we go to market with a new car. So what we did is we partnered with, with uh, Uber. For those that don't know, we sponsor the Australian Open, which happens every January. And it's tennis, right? It is tennis, yep. yeah. Um, so we launched a new car. It's a very formulaic way of doing it. 
that I really challenged the team to come up with different ideas of doing it. Our biggest challenge is perceived versus actual quality. I'm getting really into the reads here. I apologise, but it's all relevant. So the best way to shorten that is to actually get people to sit into our cars. As soon as they sit in, they're like, holy shit, these aren't crap. Oh, wow, amazing. And then they can reappraise chuck a new logo on that and it turbocharges it. So what we did is we had our new Seltos, which is a small SUV, and we, to launch the car, we partnered with Uber at the Australian Open, we put 100 of them on fleet around Melbourne and in the app, the first time globally that a brand came up in the app, you could get a free Kia fan fleet ride to the tennis in the new Seltos. Right. And we had 25 plus thousand people experience the car for the first time and shoot that car up to number one in category with zero nameplate recognition prior to that. Was that the only thing that caused that? No, but doing something differently, leveraging it through media, not to mention the amount of bums on seats. It was just a, a way of, uh, I guess, dare I say, a bit of an agency mentality to a situation that you've always done it this way. It was like, great, that's an opportunity for us to do it better. Good call. So, Susan, creative and creativity in, in, in a client versus agency context, and how do you, do you gra grapple with the horns on that between your, your agency partners? Or Yeah, I mean, look, um, for me, and I guess it's because I come from, again, a, a uh, creative agency background, because I started my career very early on, you know, with the influence, frankly, of working on Apple for many years and literally being there at the time when Steve Jobs was rebuilding the brand, and I think that was, you know, uh, very formative for me, you know, very much imprinting on my, right. uh, my marketing career, and I have brought that to every job that I've had, whether it is on the creative side or in working on clients or, or when I moved brand side. Do you wear turtlenecks? <laughs> no, I don't return on eggs. I don't occasionally, not yet. Okay. <laughs> Isi Miyaki turtle on eggs. Yeah. Oh. Really? Um, brand. And I don't know if, I'm, if I gravitate to brands that have good creative ambition or if it's something I also just really try and drive and instill. Making creative part of the agenda, not just within the marketing team, mm -hmm. but at an executive and a board level, and why um, it makes commercial sense is, for me, is priority number one. And making sure that I'm not having those conversations when I'm in doing one of my sales uh, pitches or presentations of the work, <laughs> but that I have seeded the importance of creativity um, as, a, as a brand differentiator, as a, um, again, a, a key way to, to drive the commercial outcomes, particularly for our industry. Um, and we too operate in a category that is, uh, you know, a complete sea of sameness. You know, we talk about the sea turtle that appears in every single country's ad that has, uh, has a beach. Um, so setting the expectations early on, um, setting the creative ambition high, yeah. and I've got a, a management team that stands behind that. I have a board that stands behind that. We account for that in our risk register. We know that there's greater risk in being boring and vanilla, and your your media and marketing dollars uh, not going as uh, not working a as risk hard as register. they could. We have, we, yeah, I like that. Yeah, we have a risk register for everything we do. I mean, we, you know, we, we have a lot of risks in our category and we're as a government organization. And you report to the feds, yeah. Yes. So you've got and, to, and, so got to and, count and, for all of it. And being boring creatively is in that register. We don't phrase it that way, but there is a thing like marketing risks, yeah. Is, I'm you liking know, well, if, okay. you know, What is our risk appetite around creativity and driving cut through? Yeah. And that's a part Liam, of the conversation. you got a quick point there? Or, I now work for one of the most regulated yes, of businesses in, in the country. Um, and we have the opposite. Mm. The more creative we are, the more risk. I have like a 12 strong compliance team mm. who sit opposite me. Um, and they're, they're, they're analysing your create, creative mm. output for risk. 
1,000%. Wow. So yeah. we have strict target market definitions and our disclosure obligations. Anyway, sixth day in the world, so I'm learning a lot. But it's really, we have the flip side yeah. view. Oh, no, don't, yeah. don't, don't kid yourself. Like, we debate this all the time. It's just that, you know, when we, when we did the risk <laughs> register, we agreed that our risk appetite was high. When I say we, I mean literally the, the yeah. board decided rather. You know, we, we made the case for it. They agreed. And then as we go through and as we present work, though, we, it's fiercely debated all the time to make mm. sure that it's landing in the right zone. But everyone, you know, they all believe wholeheartedly, as does my management team, that there's more risk in being vanilla. Yeah. So Liam, you popped a good one, and I just want to get to Annalise, because we've got four minutes, and I want to throw, if there's any questions from the floor, uh, be ready, because Annalise is going to give her take on creativity, and um, then I'll throw the floor, and if not, I'll have some more questions. Yeah, we, uh, I don't know if you can recall, but when we had a phone call before this, a quick phone call, just to touch on a few things. And we had a good discussion around creativity in terms of how important is it for now and for the future as well. Mm. So we talked about the fact that, I mean, my perception is, you know, a lot with a lot of digital marketing, um, there's a lot more left brain fact-based um, sort of fodder that goes out there. Mm. I call it fodder, probably the wrong word. And therefore, consumers just see so much stuff. And so as a result, creativity is so much more important now. And even into the future, I sat in um, a, an amazing um, a talk on the metaverse. So given the fact that it is five to ten years away, given the fact yeah, that where it is, is it? one Tell another... Where is it? I don't know. Well, it is one other sort of, I guess, um, opportunity within the marketing mix of how we can engage with consumers. Mm. But in that space, you absolutely have to have creativity to mm. drive that engagement. Right. And so it feels to me like we've kind of gone on this sort of pathway where, you know, with digital marketing, we've got a lot more left brain, a lot more fact-based, less creative, but now actually there's the age of creativity is coming back. Coming back. Yeah, right. And I get excited by that. Yeah, that's good. Um, so yeah. for questions, you wanted to say one? Yeah, I've just got one final point, which is a real life articulation and example of this. I have a friend, let's call him Paul, and he's working at hmm. a, a startup. This is a real life example. So Paul is an exceptional digital marketer and Thank he you. sold in, not you, he sold in a return on advertising spend business plan to grow from zero up to where he felt the business could get. And it was purely based on metrics at a different business, at a different life stage, in a completely different category. Right. They are now 150% behind target because at no point did he wait creative. It was just a total return on advertising spend based on the ad units that you buy. Nothing afforded to right. creativity. Right. Nothing, zero. And they went from a very esteemed agency that he was working with to essentially a startup where it's all hands on deck. What was the name of the startup? I'm not going to say anymore, but <laughs> it just clearly articulates in the yeah. real world environment that we don't value creative enough. Mm. It, it plays such a big role and we need to be better. And there's always a conundrum for me because I hear that from marketers all the time. And it's someone talked about bravery. Sometimes it's sort of, you know, how you execute and what you define as creative. Um, any questions? Yes. Um, I've got one question and it's more interesting from the client sort of side. In terms of this lurking sort of recession or I guess almost reluctance to invest in marketing when it gets financially difficult, what's your approach or how do you encourage either from agency side or internally to continue that investment in marketing and brand? Uh, who wants to jump on that? Uh, um, <laughs> great question. Um, this is the best time. 100 years of evidence to show that if yes. you invest now, yeah. the rebound, you will reap dividends. And those uh, that don't fall behind. Fall away. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, there's so much evidence out there. If you're trying to convince a client to do that, um, n now is the time. Yeah. 
Um, for is there sure. pressure on all of you though to, to, to contract in the, you know, bracing for what might be? Not in my world because they're in a market's business, they get it. Right. And they're like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I'm the opposite to tourism, but the auto industry's boomed over the last yeah. three years. Yeah. So it's the complete opposite. And we, to, to be perfectly fair, we took an, a very strategic executive team, we took the decision to go hard. Our biggest issue, again, was our, under, our share of voice was so low. Mm. And this was the opportunity when three or four others who were big, yeah. big players took their foot off the accelerator a bit and allow us to get our head up and get actually known. Because the research was saying, it's not that they don't like you, they just didn't know about you. Mm. So this is an opportunity for you to get that share of voice. We sold that into our dealer network and it's actually bulletproofed us now for a plan moving forward, so. Mm. Um, one more question, if you've got one, otherwise we'll, we'll uh, wrap it's this flashing, up. flashing, Paul. Oh, it's flashing, right, so it's over. <laughs> Put your hands together for the panel and... Um, Thank you. Thank you. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.